Good morning, everybody. It is podcast Friday. Welcome to Facebook and HCMA's live broadcast of Tales from the Heart, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Lisa Salberg. And my special guest today is Dr. Marty Marin. Good morning, Marin. Good morning, Marty. Marty and Marin came together there. Good morning, Marty, and welcome to Heart Month. You need, you need another coffee. I think I do. <laughs> yeah. I'll have water instead. All right. All right. Fair enough. Good morning. Good to see you as always. Hello to everybody tuning in. So it's heart month, which means everybody wants to talk about hearts for 28 days. I don't know why we got the short month, but I did find something else a little ironic about heart month. I learned something new this month and it happened earlier this week. National pizza day occurs Uh in heart month. Is there a conflicting message here? Is that just me? (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, it's not, it is a little bit conflicting. Um, yeah, good pickup. As a Jersey girl, I was very confused that day. I just have to say. Yeah. So if you haven't figured out, Lisa's a little slap happy this week. We've been going all week. Monday, we had our media tour. Uh, Matt Martinez and I were around the country in 25 different regions, spreading the word of HCM far and wide. Wednesday, we had our board meeting. <laughs> Thursday night, we had our Big Hearted Warrior event with uh, University of Iowa. So you can tune in and check that out from last night. And this morning, here we are podcasting, talking all things Heart Month. So, Marty. Yeah. There are about 125 to 150,000 individuals in the United States with diagnosed HCM currently under management by evaluation of insurance records and other nationally available databases. Right. But... One in 200 to one in 500 people have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which means that's about a million people, give or take. Where are the other 85% of these people hiding? And how do you think we can go about identifying these families and helping them get to care? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's a really critical one. Uh, we I think it's fair to say, although it's hard to know the exact numbers, but I think the point's well taken that it's probably just the tip of the iceberg that we see uh, in terms of patients that get diagnosed into followed in clinics and around the United States for, for care of HCM. It's a tip of the iceberg. So there are a substantial number of patients below the surface. Um, and we need to do probably for that reason, a better job of, of, of strategies aimed at, at at identifying more of those patients for sure, because there's no question that by doing that, we can improve the care of many patients with HCM and potentially avert um, bad outcomes for some of those patients. The big question that I'm sure you're going to get to is how to do that. So we don't have the magic answer, but we do have a few maybe pieces of fairy dust that might help solve the problem to a certain extent. Right. Um, I think we have realistic expectations that we'll probably never hit 100% identified. um, And maybe we don't need to because asymptomatic individuals, when they have an issue, they'll come to attention. But those families who are at higher risk, we really need to get to because we know you don't necessarily need to feel bad to be at high risk of cardiac arrest from HCM. That's right. So we need to do that. So we we have created the HCM Act, which is a piece of um, legislative language that we're trying to get planted into a number of different communities. 
And by this, we have to look at it as state level legislation. And this will help physicians in the well child examination ask the right questions that will help identify families who have high risk of heart disease, not just HCM. It could be other forms of genetic heart disease or congenital diseases or potentially environmental issues like the detection of you know, untreated myocarditis, et cetera. So we wanna help these physicians in the community identify these families and refer them upstream for additional screening, whatever might be necessary for whatever the risk might be. So all you need to do to get involved with this is visit the HCMA website and look up the HCM Act under our programs and follow the links and you can send a letter to your state official and ask them to enact legislation that will help community doctors, pediatricians, general practitioners identify those who are at risk for heart disease. We're not just gonna find HCM there, we're gonna find a lot of other things. So we really want everybody to jump on board with that so we can help identify them, get them to their local cardiologist and as needed, get them referred to high volume centers. And why are high volume centers important, Marty? Well, I mean, why are they important? Because, you know, there, there's a certain amount of, um, well, let's say, let's back up for a minute. I mean, look, this is a disease, HCM, um, that's complex sometimes in terms of uh, making decisions for individual patients about what the best approach may be for them from a management standpoint. The word I like to use sometimes is it's kind of like a nuanced, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, and that heart, that reflects on the fact that, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a disease that has an enormous sort of what we call heterogeneity to it. There's a lot of variability to, you know, how these, how an HCM heart can be expressed in any individual patient and therefore what can happen to them over the course of their lifetime. And also there's a lot of new things that have come along to help there as well, in terms of having to, 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 to be able to be interpreted correctly in terms of testing that go into the overall evaluation of a nuanced disease like this. And so when I, when you ask me that question about what the advantage is of, of an HCM center, the advantage is that you've got at a center, a collection of expertise, you know, cardiologists who have devoted or devoting themselves to um, taking care of patients consistently and reliably over time with this patient with this disease. And so what comes with that is um, expertise. You get to be um, more familiar with all the different aspects of the disease. Um, you, the more you see of it, the better you get at understanding what can happen. And, and, and you get better at making the right kinds of um, uh, management discussions and, and decisions with patients. And so that's the value. And, and by the way, that value is not just with HCM. I mean, I tell patients all the time that, you know, if, if they have some other complex problem medically, it's always best to seek out, I think, care at, at, an, at, a, at an expert center for whatever disease they may have. HCM is obviously what we're talking about today, but that principle, I think, applies to almost anything. And so you're just going to get a different kind of um, uh, approach when you do that. And so um, your, your messaging, which has been that, that for a long time about the centers, and you are obviously responsible for creating an infrastructure of centers um, over the last 20 years or more, has really elevated the care for patients of this disease, maybe more than almost any other 
step that's been taken in a way in this disease. And so without doubt, you know, the impact of seeking care there is huge. Back in the 90s, there was a concept going around called disruptive medicine. Yeah. And I really like that term because I thought patients could really get engaged in, in creating care models that worked for them in collaboration with, with high volume operators or knowledgeable individuals on a particular disease state. So it all started with disruptive medicine as my, my theme. And we built it up from there to make disruption normal and better. So I'm really excited about where we are going with Center of Excellence Care and how much better things have gotten. But it really comes down to evolution of each center because not everybody comes in at the same level. They can't. And I go back to Malcolm Gadwell, for anybody who's a Malcolm Gadwell geek like me, um, the book 10,000 Hours, fantastic book. You've got to be in something for 10,000 hours to become an expert, That's right. whether it's piano or music or medicine or whatever your vocation or occupation or passion is, 10,000 hours makes you really damn good. Yeah. And how many patients have you seen in your career, Marty, with HCM? On the total? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably, you know, at this point, probably close to 4,000 or more. Yeah. So 4,000 patients, and if you see them three times, you've got your 1,000 hours or your, your 10,000 hours easily yeah. covered, probably right. at about 1,000 patients after a couple of years, and you've multiplied that. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the magic happens, I think, is when you can look at patients and you, are, you know the science, you know the anatomy, you know the disease so well that you're guided to think beyond the image and you can think deeper and you can have your team all on the same page. And that's fantastic. Teamwork really does matter here. That's right. That's right. And we also talk a lot about, you know, this concept too of, you know, when, you know, when you see, when you see a lot of patients over time with a, a certain disease like this, you as a physician home, your skill set in what's called, you know, what I'll call physician intuition or judgment or reasoning. And, 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 you know, all physicians develop some intuition and reasoning as they go forward in their careers with time and taking care of patients over time. But, but, but certainly in this disease, because of the incredible heterogeneity and all the different nuances, as I was just talking about, there's such a, there's such an importance placed on you know, physician intuition and judgment here that can only be developed by seeing a lot of patients over time in a way. And that, that's what you're getting at an HCM center of excellence. You're getting that other aspect to your care from your HCM cardiology expert is that aspect, which sometimes, you know, can make all the world of difference. It certainly can. Um, we have a question coming in here. Um, from Nina, who is asking about uh, inheritance. So I think this is a really important time to talk about family heart risks. Yeah. And if a parent has HCM, can you explain the possibility of a child also having HCM? What does that look like? Sure. Sir, so hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is, is a genetic heart disease where in, in, in the transmission um, from one generation to the next is in what's called an autosomal dominant form. 
there's different ways that genetic diseases are transmitted from one generation to the next. In this case, it's autosomal dominant. So all that means, to be simple, is that there is a 50% chance, usually 50% chance that, that in this case, let's say that the child of the affected parent could inherit the mutation that's responsible for HCM in that family. It's 50% chance that they inherit the mutation. And just to be clear, just so everybody, you know, just to take that one step further, again, inheriting the mutation is the autosomal dominant 50% chance, but that doesn't mean that that child who inherits the mutation will develop HCM, okay? That is a different question. We call that penetrance, the likelihood of developing the disease if the child inherits the mutation. And the penetrance, the likelihood of that happening is not, is not 100%. We don't have an exact number, but it's not 100 for sure. So just because if the next generation inherits the mutation does not mean that that child or person is destined to develop HCM. And if they do, it may present young, it may present middle-aged, right. it may present older, it may be mild, it may be severe. So knowing if it's there is critical. This is the role of genetic testing in families when we are able to identify a gene. We don't know them all yet. So we're still looking for you know, points where we can test. But if your child is a gene carrier, we're gonna screen them more regularly. And you're going to be able to make decisions for your child's future with that information in mind right. and watching out for HCM to develop. It's critically, critically important that we get factual information into the hands of community cardiologists, community physicians about how to screen for HCM and when. We shared a story earlier this week of a young man, um, his name is Caleb. He passed away at the age of 13. There was a known family history of HCM, um, but the community cardiologist told them, no, oh, just screen every three years or so even though he had an episode of chest pain, went to the ER and was found to have an abnormal EKG. We missed an opportunity because the, the gap in time between screenings was too long and they were given misinformation that they shouldn't follow up on this chest pain and abnormal EKG. They just let it go. Um, this young man was a vlogger. He had 63 million views on YouTube and he was a he was a role model and a little bit of a heartthrob with that preteen group. And he passed away a number of years ago. He would now be turning 20. And we shared his story with his family's permission on Monday, the 7th, his lucky number. And we've got 24,000 um, interactions on Instagram from, from these young people who were his fans. Mm -hmm. And now they know what happened to him. And now they're young adults, and now they're having the opportunity to become educated based on his passing and his tragic story. We don't want tragic stories. We want, we found you, we managed you, you're living a normal life, move on. Um, so let Caleb be an inspiration, and hopefully his story will raise awareness in ways and in communities we hadn't quite expected to tap into, but we're grateful to have them listening to the message. So if we identify somebody early and there seem to be at no risk, what, we do, what do we do to follow up with these patients? 
What do you, how do you follow up a teenager? So how do you follow up an asymptomatic teenager with HCM? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, first it's yearly, usually it's yearly evaluations, you know, hopefully again at a center of excellence um, where that patient will undergo usually testing that would include um, an EKG, you know, another echocardiogram. Um, and then the MRI, which is a very important part of the initial evaluation, doesn't necessarily have to be done yearly. That can be done usually if the patient's doing fine, usually on an every three to five year basis to be repeated, uh, unless there's a major change on the echo, and there could be a reason to do it earlier. That's usually, and then and then usually a um, an what we call an ambulatory monitor, a monitor that a patient wears uh, for a certain duration of time to look for arrhythmias. And so that constitutes or comprises the kind of the yearly of HCM evaluation that uh, almost all young middle-aged patients should have on about a yearly basis. And if that is reassuring, no arrhythmias, no major changes in the heart, it's move on, we'll see you next year or sooner if determined necessary, but typically annually they're being seen? Yeah, typically annually. I mean, there may be some there may be some differences there, depending a little bit on what's going on individually with the patient. But yeah, about every year. Um, and then, of course, as part of that is the recommendations um, that that center around what level of physical activity may be safe to, um, and kind of revisiting that every year too, to make sure um, that 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 everybody continues to understand those recommendations. And then. You know, and somebody who's asymptomatic, um, who, you know, is doing well, um, otherwise there may be no role, there may be no role for therapy at that point. So part of what you and I have partnered in to help community cardiologists, community physicians learn more about HCM is something called HCM Academy. You want to talk a little bit about the Academy? Sure. Sure. So HCM Academy is, um, it's a, it's a program that uh, it was put together by uh, funding from a, a pharmaceutical companies invested in 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 efforts the overall well-being of HCM patients, and that support given by companies went to uh, develop a uh, kind of an educational tools. There's different platforms that this information or educational information about HCM is put together, including, you know, online as well as um, uh, actual uh, in-person uh, didactic talks. But essentially what, it, what the Academy essentially is, is, a, is an infrastructure uh, in which educational information has been put together to raise awareness about HCM and the management of the disease to, at least initially right now, those practitioners in the different parts of the United States that are seeing patients with HCM or have an interest in HCM, so that we can, you know, increase the the um, the um, opportunity for all patients to get um, the best access to, to to care. And so things like the academy help to do that. So that's the mission. So there's online curriculum. There's right. in-person Zoom meetings where they right. can meet as a group and talk to an HCM expert. Right. And there's patient stories and patient uh, journey stories that uh, you can follow that are amazing. 
If you want your physician to participate, all you need to do is go to the HCMA website and put their contact information in for us, and we will send them an invitation for this free CME course. So that's also how we're going to help community doctors identify those who are at risk sooner. So not only do we want to speak to cardiologists and have them take HCM Academy, but GPs and pediatricians as well. It'd be really helpful to get them involved. So send their names in and ask them to join and take the course. Um, okay, so we have pitched our HCM Act and HCM Academy and why COEs matter. It's 11.30 now. Um, we've answered a couple of questions on genetics and Stephanie is checking in. She's about eight weeks post-transplant now and doing well in the UK. So Stephanie, great to see you joining us yet again. Um, and Desiree, I was sorry to hear that you, um, you lost a brother or your brother-in-law to HCM and glad that your husband and your kids are doing well. And I'm glad they're getting checked up regularly. So Marty, it's, a, it's, it's number one, it's heart month. And February 23rd, the HCMA is going to be holding an all-day extravaganza part two, because the first extravaganza happened at the summit. Um, so extravaganza two to feature HCM all day long. So we're going to be sharing patient stories. We're going to have shout-ins from different centers from around the country. And we're going to feature some guy named Barry Marion talking about some new articles he wrote in Jack. Can you give us a little teaser on what your dad's up to and what he's going to be talking to us about? Well, I think he's going to, you know, he's going to be talking about um, those articles really are, um, you know, articles that really summarize in a way, you know, where we've come in the last 50 to 60 years in the treatment of this disease. And he will, I'm sure, make the points that a lot of what's brought out in these articles these are review articles about the disease, um, you know, underscore really um, how effective uh, the current available treatments for this disease can be. Kind of, again, emphasizing your prior point about we've got great treatments for most patients with this disease to do two things, to provide them the opportunity for a normal longevity and the opportunity for a great quality of life. So we've got great treatments to do both of the, that, that can accomplish both of those treatments, both of those, sorry, both of those goals. And so those, those can be done almost anywhere in the world today. And so um, his point in these articles is that this idea is that HCM for almost all patients is a treatable situation today and, and should be viewed that way. And that all practitioners should be um, able to provide patients the opportunity to achieve those goals. And so that's probably, you know, I imagine the focus for him is going to be how much impact those treatments have really had over the last 50 to 60 years and being able to get us to this point. And now we've got to be able to identify the patients to be able to provide them that treatment and also to educate the physicians to a point where they can, when they make the diagnosis, be able to effectively deliver those treatments to achieve those goals. So that's really what he's going to talk about. It's in a way, um, and maybe it is, you know, I've known your dad a long time, longer than I've known you, 26 years plus. Yep. Um, 
which is really hard to believe because I'm 28. Um, just, just roll with it. Just roll with it. Yeah. Um, this is his life's work. And there aren't many people who can say, you know, he, he showed up on the scene in the early 70s, really looking at this. And the disease was identified in 1959. So there was a decade of knowledge with no good imaging equipment really in the 60s. Right. Um, the development of echocardiography, the perfecting of echocardiography, the addition of, you know, the original papers with Morosky and ICDs. There's three HCM patients potentially in there, right? Out of four patients. Yeah. And your dad was there in the background saying this will work for HCM. And yeah. it took until the 90s for ICDs to really be adopted in HCM. But your dad was behind the scenes the whole time. Yeah. He, he's been marching this march longer than almost anybody. Oh, yeah. And this article, these articles are a culmination of a life of work. A big deal. It is. It's a really huge, big deal. It, it is. And yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he was at the right place at the right time. And he was, in a way, the right person to, to advance a lot of these ideas that have made a huge difference. And there's some amazing stories that I'm sure he'll tell uh, as part of that that really uh, emphasize just how amazing uh, things have really gone, you know, um, in the last several decades to allow us to get to this point. Um, and certainly he has been a huge, huge part of that, if not one of the, if not the major figure there. Although, you know, I think it's always fair to say that many others have contributed in huge ways as well. And we always stand on the shoulders of others as, as well. And many others have also dedicated their lives in, 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 in terms of uh, studying the disease and taking care of the patients. And so um, he will also recognize, I think, when he talks to you, many of who those people are as well that have um, been part of major contributions, you know, over the years. There are a couple of things that I'm sure about in the world. <laughs> you cannot do anything great alone. Right. You need partners. Yep. You need people to support you, argue with you, and make you stronger and better. Um, and your dad has been that for so many people and he has had so many of those people in his life as well. And I think it's just a great day. Our first original like HCM awareness day yeah. better to feature as a keynote speaker for the day than Barry Marin. Yeah. And these, you know, these articles in particular are, are really digestible, understandable for physicians and I think for patients to help themselves advocate for themselves. And I think it's fantastic that we're gonna have him here. Um, but I do wanna just give a quick shout out to the sure. other Marin behind the scenes. Because if it weren't for Donna, right. I don't think anybody would be anywhere. So Donna's mom or wife, depending upon which Marin you're talking to. So I just gotta give a call out and a shout out to Donna because she's kind of like my little rock star hero. She sits behind the scenes keeping everybody running in the right direction. And I wouldn't cross Donna. <laughs> well, thank you for, for, uh, you know, thinking of her in that way. Um, obviously, you know, w without her, uh, can, you know, being a supporter uh, of all of us, um, she was an, she's an incredible mom and supporter of, 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 of all of us in a, such a special way. We would not be able to, none of us would have been able to be who we are without her. So, um, Appreciate you 
mentioning that. It's very nice. Of course, of course. I, I love your mom. She has to be a very special woman to be able to put up with the passion that lives in that family for a particular purpose. Although I'm sure some sporting events can probably get a little testy in that house too. I will, I will say she is at this point burned out of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So she does when she when we start talking, she does disappear and sit on and goes back to the bedroom and watches MSNBC um, <laughs> at that point. So I'm not sure she's as, as engaged as she was before, but but that's not unreasonable. She's been no, I think she can retire now. That's okay. We, she's done her part. The contributions are there and her fingerprints are on everything. So we have to acknowledge during heart months, our mom's hearts keep us all, keep the whole family beating. So that's kind of an important thing too. Okay. So one other thing just on that, I think, I think, I think it's important to, to, to note, and I think you will talk about this, I'm sure with him, um, meaning my dad on, on HM awareness day that, you know, the, you always have to remember, I think that at least I always remember that in in addition to the incredible kind of scientific advances that have occurred over the years by by him and others, you know, I think he, you know, I got to give him credit also to the fact that behind all the scientific advances was an incredible passion for the patients and, and the and the well-being of the HCM patient community. You know, just to, as you know, going back in time, many listening may not appreciate this, but, you know, HCM was, you know, in a way kind of a, a, a much less recognized disease going back many decades. And, and there were at different times people that took, I'm, I'm going to use, took advantage in a way of the HCM population, advantage in quotes, you know, in some ways, but, but, but did, 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 there were things done that may not have been done in other diseases because it was a disease a little bit under the radar in a way. Um, and I think, you know, he was always since minute one and continues to be um, an incredible voice for the patients. And that's always been perhaps in my mind, one of the greatest, you know, accomplishments is, is never losing sight of what this was all about. It was all about the patient's well-being. I think, um, you know, I go back to, I actually have the note yeah. from the very first phone call that I, yeah. I placed to him and the return call back in my notes in my notebook. Um, I left him a message. Hey, I'm from New Jersey. I read an article that you wrote about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I have it. And I think I want to start like a support group or something. Call me. <laughs> like I talked to Terry. And that was the message. And like eight minutes later, he called me back. Yeah. Who is this? What do you want? Yeah. Right. Where did you get my number? And like, I'm like, well, this is who I am. Nice to meet you. And he's like, read this article. And he faxed it to me on old fax paper, mind you. Um, I still have some of them, but most of the print is gone. Um, and it started from there. And he, I think he was a little intrigued that like I was going to dive in. And he's like, well, let's see what she's got and read this and ask me questions. And we went through articles and he was my, he was my mentor via fax machine. Read this. I'm like, but what, but what about this? And what about that? And he'd point me to the next article to read, point me to the next article to read. And one day I called him, I'm like, if this is this and this, then what's that? And he goes, we don't know. I'm like, well, that's not a good enough answer. You got to find out. How are you going to find out? Well, we need to do a trial. Okay. What's that? How do we do that? Where do we go? And 
if he didn't engage, I don't know that the HCMA would be what it is today. Yeah. I don't know that I would have learned the way that I learned. And he didn't, he didn't tell me anything. He taught me and he made me read and he made me ask questions and he made me fight for the knowledge, which was an amazing gift, a real true amazing gift. And that's helped the community build to what it is today. So he's certainly at the, at the heart of the day on the 23rd and his contributions um, won't be underestimated by any stretch of the imagination. Um, okay, people, if you have any questions, you can post them now because Marty and I are going to be getting off to do other things for the day. Um, so you can post your questions now. And I would encourage you to go over to the HCMA website and immediately sign up to join us. You do not have to stay with us all day in the webinar. We're gonna come back and forth and stream on Facebook like we're doing now, but you really wanna make sure that you're part of HCM Awareness Day. There's gonna be some amazing announcements um, and we have some surprises coming and they're exciting and they're positive and I can't say another word till 7 p.m. on the 23rd. We're not even announcing who's joining us at that time. It's going to be a surprise to all of the people in the audience, and you're not going to want to miss it. So um, we've got that. Marty, anything else you want to say for Heart Month? Anything you want to say to your patients and your families out there? Um, I hope everybody's doing well. Um, that's for sure. We'll start with that. I hope everybody's good. Um, and if not, then let me know so that we can get you good. So that's what we'll say. And thanks for your support as always to, um, you know, not just of, of, uh, of our center, but, all, but of also the, uh, the broader HCM community and for the HCMA. So we appreciate all that support. It makes a huge difference and it helps to advance the cause in a way that without that help, it would never be advanced. So, you know, appreciate everybody being engaged the way they are. I do too. And we have 300 plus individuals signed up to be volunteers for the HCMA. So we're going to be rolling out some amazing programs over the next year where we're going to be engaging more and more people, more and more committee work. You know, yeah. this is work that will rise up much easier with more hands. And we're all going to have a say, this is not, LISA, this is HCMA, this is ours, this is a community, and we're all going to do better together. Um, Nina has an interesting question before we run away today. Okay. Can we manage HCM by eating less carbs? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer that by saying first that, that we don't really have any clear evidence that specific aspects of diet um, directly influence or impact the disease expression, or for that matter, you know, necessarily what happens to patients over time with this disease. So the relationship between diet and hyper and a genetic heart disease like HCM, you know, is unclear. Uh, that said, do I think it's possible that there could be an interplay or a relationship between different kinds of environmental factors? Diet and food is certainly one of them and how patients may feel or what happens to them over time. I think it's possible for sure. And I think that does, it's a great question because I think it represents um, one of the areas 
for study and investigation going forward. Because what's, what, what we're starting to talk about as ATM experts is maybe there are environmental factors or triggers that contribute to disease besides the mutation that we're born with that may in fact be important and could then be modified. You know, and so um, that's an area for the next decade or so that needs to be looked at. And um, but at this point, no clear evidence to say that carbs are bad for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I think carbs are just evil. <laughs> you know, they could be evil in general, but I, I think they're evil you, in general. Yeah. yeah, I can't tell you with a straight face that they're bad specifically for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but they may be bad for you overall. We love to hate them is really, right. I think, what it comes down to. Um, so Nina, thanks for the question. Diet and HCM has been a really big topic yep. and we're going to have to continue to do some research there. Um, Marty, I'm going to ask you to hold when we cancel here, for, when we end the podcast for a second, because I do have something I need to ask you. But um, yep. I thank you all for joining Tales from the Heart today. And I hope you learned something. I hope you were a little bit inspired and a little bit um encouraged to get involved and help us change some laws so that we can help kids get screened and families get screened for their heart risks and happy heart month to one and all and i will be seeing you back in a week next friday next tales from the heart i will be joined by hcma um, board member and chairwoman of the elizabeth t mcnamee uh, Legislative Advocacy Committee, long name. Um, and we're going to talk more in detail on the HCM Act. I also want to give a call out that um, with our gratitude, the Elizabeth T. McNamee Foundation is matching all donations to the HCMA during Heart Month with a cap of $10,000. So please help us maximize every bit of that matching grant request or um, grant funding offer. Um, so every dollar you give turns into two. So if you were thinking of giving, this is the month to do it because you're doubling the, your money. So, um, thank you for that. And, um, don't forget to sign up for HCM awareness day, February 23rd. And hereafter we will be keeping the last Wednesday in February as our HCM awareness day. So mark your calendars every year. Last Wednesday, we'll be doing something somewhere online or in person to raise awareness at HCM. So thanks for joining us. And Marty, thanks for being with us yet again. And we'll see you soon. It was a pleasure. Bye. Okay. So let's say bye, Facebook. Bye, podcast. Have you enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Heart? We hope so. Please visit us at 4hcm.org. Become a member. Become a donor. Become a volunteer. Great news, everybody. HCM Academy is now available online. What is it? It includes online sessions, learning about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, patient stories about HCM and their management, and an opportunity to join online live with an HCM specialist to go over the slides, ask questions, and dig deeper into your understanding and knowledge of HCM. All CME courses are free. And you can find them at 4hcm.org or at thehcmacademy.com. The Big Hearted Warrior Tour continues. For the latest dates, please check 4hcm.org. And thanks to our sponsors, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Invitae, and Boston Scientific. Did you know discussion groups are available at 4hcm.org? 
Monday through Friday, almost every day you can find a discussion group. Whether you're interested in learning more about ICDs, pre-myectomy, screening your family, there's a discussion group for you. Even if you just want to learn how to balance your mental health, we have that too. So please join us for one of our live discussion groups, moderated by a peer volunteer, and you can sign up in advance at 4hcm.org. Just check the calendar for events. Please contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association at 4hcm.org or by calling our office at 973-983-7429. You can contact the HCMA by email at support at 4hcm.org. Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the HCMA, is made possible through sponsorship from Boston Scientific, Cytokinetics, Tanaya, Invitae, and Boston Scientific.